A thing is a thing when it has a certain form. A chair is chair-shaped, so it may perform its chair function. Chair is a noun, but we could say it is only really a chair when it functions as a verb. A chair, chairs. A chair that loses a leg or that has a back that tilts is no longer chairing very well or very usefully. It doesn't perform its intended purpose. What causes a chair's leg to be lost or its back to be so weak that you can no longer lean on it effectively? Misuse or accident. Maybe it was dropped, maybe it was kicked. Some violence, whether intentional or not, made the chair get bent out of its intended shape and now it no longer chairs very well. So it is with the human being, the mind, the central nervous system, the hormonal system, the emotions, perceptions, and so on. When there is violence done to the human being structure, the structure itself begins to bend, to twist, and even to break under the strain of it. It can alter the human being's intended form. The human being could be said to now be bent out of shape. What happens when the human consciousness is what was affected? When perceptions, emotions, and their concurrent hormones and neurotransmitters become bent? We have multiple, sometimes conflicting models for describing and explaining this. We have, therefore, multiple, sometimes conflicting models for prescribing solutions to this. What's interesting and pertinent to people looking to recover from this type of trauma is to understand that the way an altered form functions through time. Time is the key element to this. All of our ideas and theories and prescriptive solutions for issues in human beings that pertain to the emotional and cognitive systems seem to me to be a little bit time blind. After all, human beings don't live all that long. We do not know that psychiatric disorder X would not resolve itself after 150 years if the average human lifespan were 200 years, for example. What we do know is if a, per if a person, a person, if a person experienced a trauma, a violence to their system that strained the system's shape is that it would continue to be bent across time and contexts enough to cause that person some amount of discomfort and suffering. Let's take something simple like the individual's capacity to sit calmly alone. Simple skill. Perhaps the system was bent in such a way at one point in that person's life that being alone was considered a great punishment and was used against them as a means of intimidation. The system learns a simple associative rule. Being alone equals serious, grievous threat. Grievous threat. Serious, not grievous. Serious, grievous threat. Apologies to my non-English speakers who are learning and I'm misleading you. Grievous. When hammering a piece of metal into shape, it isn't struck once. It is struck over and over and over to get it to bend to the blacksmith's will. The blacksmith immerses it into a very hot fire to create malleability and flexibility in the metal and then must work on it over and over and over again 
to get it to form into a new shape. So perhaps, similarly, the individual was put into a hot state to make them more open, more malleable, more flexible to the process of bending, and then was conditioned over and over again to feel a certain way and think a certain way in a specific set of circumstances. We talk in psychology generally as though issues experienced by individuals were sicknesses, a kind of externalized virus plaguing that human from outside its system, a bug or a parasite, if you will. So if someone had the skill or practice of sitting quietly alone and enjoying it, hammered out of them, it would be given a fancy and serious sounding name that will sound like a pronouncement about the individual's permanent condition. Perhaps they would be told, you have abandonment anxiety. So I would simply ask, is this true? The answer would seem to be, yes, through a certain set of filters and assumptions, it could be considered to be true enough to be deemed true. But there is another question when considering the pronouncement, you have abandonment anxiety, which is as follows. Whilst we accept that through a certain set of filters, it may be true, is it useful? The answer I would argue would be perhaps is less useful than other possible explanations and frames we could use. What if instead we said, at the systemic level, your skill of feeling calm and happy whilst alone and enjoying the peace of your own company was bent out of shape at some point, and you're currently living with the effects of that bending. It might be worth trying to bend it back to its original form. It sounds a little odd, I grant you, but if I tell a person their skill is low because systemically something is damaged or not firing properly, doesn't it imply that there may be a logical and functional solution? Might it not offer them a little bit more optimism that could lead to hopeful and proactive action? Now, some in response to this may say, optimism is merely cosmetic and not essential to recovery from psychological wounds. I would firmly disagree. What can a person actually do for themselves if they are told you simply have abandonment anxiety? What can a therapist even do? It's like saying you have the lurgy. The only thing you can do if you have a medical illness is passively wait for a qualified superior to put their medicine and their solution into you externally. Some might say, well, abandonment anxiety is so much more than not having the skill of enjoying being alone. To which I would reply, are you sure? How sure are you on a scale of sureness? What is the evidence that the fancy term is so much more than just not having that skill? Where are you getting that data from? Where are you getting that certainty from? Is it a falsifiable claim? If it is not, why cling to the idea that humans are terribly complex entities whose suffering is terribly complex and the solution for which is either non-existent or takes decades to enact. There is a second perspective I'd like to suggest that allows for the possibility that abandonment anxiety is indeed terribly complex. 
and hard to resolve in the form of a question. If a person was told and therefore asked to believe that what was at play was that a systemic fault was causing them to feel a certain way and that this fault can be partially resolved by developing a new skill, would or could that give the person some relief? Would that relief be 30% relief from the symptoms, 50% relief from the symptoms, or maybe even 70% relief from their symptoms? Self-reported symptoms, by the way. We cannot objectively, uh, reliably note the symptoms externally. There's no measure for that. It's the client that lets the therapist know how they feel. We're entirely dependent on the client's honest and accurate self-reporting of how they feel. Put another way, imagine a person turning up for help with feelings of overwhelming fear when my partner goes to the shops. We have option one, uh, tell the client it's because their mother would lock them in a cupboard when they were younger as punishment. It's in your past. It's complex. It's traumatic. It's severe. It may never be resolved or the solution would take a lot of time and is very hard. That's option one. Or we have option two. Oh, so you haven't got the skill of being calmly and happily alone. Yeah, don't worry. There are courses for that. Yeah, you sit in a room with other people who are looking to develop the same skill. You do guided meditations and group work focused around how everyone as an individual can learn over time to develop new skills. The skill we'll be focusing on there is called sitting happily alone, enjoying my own company. And it takes time, uh, like learning a language or learning to play an instrument. But within six to 12 weeks, you'll see real gains. Option one or option two. Perhaps some will say, but that won't be a total cure. And to reduce the severity of the condition in the client's eyes would be dangerous. To which I would reply, well then show me the total cures we have developed so far by using a model that suggests that people are irredeemably burdened with a medical sounding psychiatric condition. Is it not dangerous to crush people's optimism and make them feel abnormal? I mean, this is a life skill. A person who is in good shape at the systemic level will be able to happily be alone, be it doing meditation, reading, or clipping bonsai trees. The difference here is one of assumptions. Is it better and more effective to assume a medical condition heavy-handedly cast down onto the client's head from on high? Where is the evidence that this helps? What if we assume a minor dysfunction in the engine, a bent part, a skill or a strength not yet developed, but that could be developed in the future? Is it any less true? What if we assume and talk as though these things are totally normal? Telling people they have rare conditions can bring a sense of doom and shame. Telling people they are somewhat lacking in a learnable skill may bring back a sense of optimism and a feeling included in the rest of normal humanity. After all, who isn't a little bit bent out of shape? To those who suspect that some parts of their system may be a little bent out of shape or misfiring in the engine, I offer the following suggestions. Identify to a nicety 
what the issue is you are facing. Reframe it as a minor systemic failure or a skill or a strength that needs developing with the assumption that you can learn new skills. Imagine what it would look like to recondition that part of the system and what it would look like to develop that identified skill. Step four, if we take the opposite of the blacksmith metaphor, we would want you to be in a super cool, calm, loving, supportive state in order to create that behavioral flexibility. And we would not want you to hammer the part back into shape, but to condition it over time with repetitions like training flexibility in yoga or strength in the weights room or a new move in martial arts practice. Over and over again, enjoying the practice cheerfully and receiving the benefits of it as you go. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your time and your attention. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers.